Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowroom.com. In this week's interview, we speak to a cannabis permit specialist from California known as Joey Espinosa. And throughout the interview, we just speak about the ridiculous rules some of the cannabis farms have to deal with when they're growing in California, like which kind of taxes they have to pay, what kind of regulations they have to follow, and how they are treated unfairly compared to other businesses in California as well. It was really interesting, man. We had a good conversation. We went on some random tangents as we do, but it was a real good conversation, man. We learned some things in this one and I hope you do too. So anyway, roll yourself a fat one, get nice and high and sit back and relax. Listen to this interview with Joey Espinosa. I hope you enjoy it. And I'll speak to you at the end of this. See you in a bit. So let, we'll quickly introduce ourselves so you know who you're talking to. I am Mackie, the, the host of High on Homegrown, and I am from the UK. And we also have Monkey Do. You want to say hi, Monkey? Hey, Joey. It's Monkey down here in the southeast US along the Gulf of Mexico. Hope you're good today, man. I'm doing well, man. Yeah, thanks Thanks to you guys for, for having me on. Oh, no, it's cool, man. Thanks for getting in touch and you know offering to be on the show and shit. So uh, you want to introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my, my name is Joey Espinosa, and I... Uh, have a consulting company called cannabispermits.com. Uh, we're based out of here in Monterey County, California. And basically my my days are spent helping different cannabis operators uh, navigate all the crazy regulations and mm-hmm. uh, government oversight that they have to deal with. You work with um, the big grower warehouses and shit like that as well. Yeah. So in, in Monterey County, uh, most of our farms are large greenhouse operations. Right. Right. Yeah. And they have a I mean, you you the right guy to speak about all of this shit because you obviously know because there's a shitload of just stupid regulations on these growers, right? Like a oh, certain amount yeah. of tax they have to pay for each plant and things like that. Is that the, the in California? Yeah, there's definitely a fuckload of regulations that are just over the top. I mean, they they you know I always say that with other industries, usually people just come up with innovative ideas. They just start doing shit. And then slowly the government's like, Oh, we should start regulating this. Like if mm-hmm. like self self-driving cars, for example, someone mm-hmm. just starts doing it and then they realize they need regulations. Cannabis is almost the reverse where we're starting with like the most heavy regulations you can get off the top. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully over time, we're going to shave some of these off as they realize it's not as dangerous as, as they act like it is. But yeah, the, the, it's overtaxed, overregulated. They want every little detail of every little thing you do. And it's it's really over the top. It makes it really difficult for people to to run their businesses and, and even make money sometimes. Yeah, it seems that way. But from a lot of the guests we've had on the show, they said the same kind of thing. You know, the regulations get in the way and the huge amount of taxes as well. Yeah, so the taxes are, um, in, in California, the taxes were 15% at the retail level. And for a couple of years, they had a cultivation tax that was around, I think, like $154 for every pound that was entered the commercial marketplace. So, Mm. for example, if you grew some weed and you tested it and tested clean, then you would be on the hook for the tax. If you grew some weed and you didn't test it um, or it didn't test clean, then you wouldn't be on the hook for the cultivation tax. Now, they, they recently have gotten rid of that. They've put it kind of a stay on that where they took it away to try to help the market. Mm-hmm. Which was which good, but the the issue too, I think, is with the government. They set such 
astronomically high tax rates that when they make a small concession, they feel like, oh, wow, look what we did for you. And it's like, no, 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 you already started like way up here to, to barely leave it down here is not mm -hmm. that good. Like, but they mm -hmm. want like a pat on the back, you know, so Monterey County has their own taxes, their own local taxes. They started at $15 per square foot is how much they wanted from these these greenhouse wow. farmers, Damn. which is insane. It's like um, uh, when you what? want each plant to have at least what two two by two four square foot, right? That's what the the minimum is. Just like yeah, sixty dollars for each plant, right? And so they've they've no you know over the course of the years, myself and and others involved have advocated and lobbied them, and and the the price has gotten down to five, and then it went down to three. And then it went down to two dollars, and now it's probably at like a dollar and sixty cents or something, which is which is far better, but I, I would say still still a little higher than it should be. Um, but the issue with the square footage tax is that you are taxed on that canopy that you're growing, even if it fails, even if mm. you have a mold mold come through that destroys it, if you have you know any sort of issues, uh, they don't care. You still need to pay them for that square footage. So it's it's almost like you're paying a lease to the to the yeah, county basically. Yeah. Is there it's, any other industry anywhere in California that's like that? That's ridiculous. No, not not that I know of. I mean, obviously, your your send taxes on like alcohol and tobacco are probably pretty high, um, but they're they're certainly not taxed on some sort of square footage level. You know, it's it's usually some sort of percentage. Now, in the beginning of all this, I could imagine Anheuser Busch getting taxed fifteen dollars a square foot. That'd be ridiculous. Of course, and and obviously they have plenty of money to lobby them and you know try to mm -hmm. try to regulations that way um but the beginning of all this that was a hot topic with with a lot of the growers around here so i've i've been in the industry a long time and i was here from the genesis of of the regulations in monterey county and that was a conversation all of us had is do we want gross receipts tax or do we want square footage tax and it was it was kind of 50 50 some people wanted that some people wanted the other the advantage of a square footage tax was like okay if it's square footage it's easier for the government to verify and the idea would be that they don't have to really come in and audit your books and look at mm -hmm. your sales because if it's gross receipts, they want to make sure you're not lying about what you're selling it for. And so people just didn't want to have to deal with the county coming in and wanting to see, you know, all these all this detail on the sales, basically. Mm -hmm. So that was why I think people lean towards square footage. Also, if you're really, really efficient, square footage can work out for you, but it's just not forgiving mm -hmm. when you have issues. So when you say you had a choice between the two and you, you were able to choose where you could which tax you prefer. Wasn't there a situation where you could choose neither of those? <laughs> no, I mean, I wish. Um, basically, the count the the county created a ballot initiative to tax cannabis, and it had to go to the vote of the citizens. Right. And so, right. what I'm saying is, when they were developing that initiative, we probably could have tried to influence it one way or the other. It doesn't mean that they would have listened to us 100, percent but right. You know, we could have pushed harder for gross receipts, but no, there was no option of of not having anything on the table. Really, the only reason any of these cities or counties regulated is because they want the money. Mm -hmm. So, what is the overall tax? Like you say, there's fifteen percent from the state. Yeah, so fifteen percent uh, what gets sold in dispensaries, um, and then you have basically your local taxes. So, in Monterey County, you have a square footage tax on the cultivation. Right. Uh, you have a gross receipts tax on the manufactured products. You have a gross receipts tax. On top of the fifteen percent for the retailers, you have to pay. I think in Monterey County, it's like three or four percent, um, and I believe the testing labs have also a certain percentage they're supposed to pay. Luckily, we did get Monterey County to remove the distribution tax, 
um, which was a big win. But there are a lot of other cities and counties that still tax that. So that means literally every single part of the supply chain, they take a piece of the pie. They take a piece from the grower. He sells it to a distributor who's going to wholesale it. They take a piece from that distributor. They take a piece from the person that's going to make extractions. They take a piece from the person that sells it to the end consumer. So as and far they as call exactly us the that... fucking criminals, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there is no other product in, in that I can think of that's taxed like that. Nothing. No, absolutely not. I mean, you're disrupting the free market when you're when you're trying to get mm -hmm. a piece of every part of the supply chain. Usually it gets taxed at the end consumer and that's it, right? Like mm -hmm. That's that's something Washington, the state of Washington did where they, they had a super high, like maybe 37% or something crazy at the end consumer, which is still too high. But as far as the flow of the supply chain, it made things easier because you just if you're selling wholesale, you don't deal with taxes. The retailers do. So it's 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 been a really funky system and it's 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 so difficult. And we're not even talking about all the all the, the, the requirements of like making your property up to code or fixing certain things. That's just the taxes, you know. There's there's a whole other side of this that makes it so expensive to get into and difficult for a smaller mm -hmm. operator to to get into. Now, I've been uh, hearing a lot of stories in California about the price, the wholesale price of, of a pound dropping drastically. I mean, I've heard yeah. stories, and and I don't know if they're true, of twenty five dollar pounds out there. And my question is, if that is seriously that much tax involved, how do you pay your tax if if you if your your cannabis isn't worth anything? you go out of business or, much. Um, you know, or obviously it's a reality that some, some operators are trying to, are having to backdoor product, right. And, and maybe uh, dip their toes in the, the legal market so that they can pay their bills in the legal market. Um, so the prices definitely have, have dropped dramatically. I would say it happened around July of 2021 is when there was just a sudden flood and everybody and their grandma had weed. Um, and that is slowly getting better now. I would say towards the end of last month, we're seeing prices improve. Um, so for greenhouse farmers here in Monterey County, I think most of them were selling their, their uh, one pound of weed for about 1200, maybe up to $1,400. And then when the price collapsed, they were getting offered 400, 500, maybe $600 if, if it was really good weed. Wow. So almost cut in, in half or up to 60% wow. while you're still paying those higher tax rates. That are still owed because again we don't care if you have mold we don't care if the market collapse you owe us that money um so that that has pretty much gone on for the past 18 months and that's a large reason why a lot of people have been failing and going out of business because it, they're just not sustainable prices the only thing that kind of made this thing work was having large enough margins to deal with all of this government regulation and deal with all of these taxes if there's no margin then it's it's really fucked at that point so do you think they had a purpose behind passing the laws the way they have or are you like me and think that the government have absolutely no fucking idea what they're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would probably wager more on the the side that the, we just have a lot of incompetent people overruling us mm -hmm. um they don't know what they're doing they don't know a lot about the industry and and quite frankly some of them don't seem to care um they don't care to learn they don't care to look into it some of them are better than others, but a majority of them are definitely just incompetent and and they don't. The other thing that's interesting is a lot of these people that that run our governments, whether it's local or state, a lot of them have never even run a business before, but but they're regulating businesses and they don't even have the experience to run one themselves. You know, mm -hmm. they're just people that sit behind their desks and make up rules and don't really know what it's like to be in the field. And don't know what it's like to be a cannabis consumer or anything. You know, it's absolutely right. ridiculous that these people pass these laws and just have no experience at all right 
damn, how do you get that job? You know what I mean? How, how do you get the job passing the fucking laws like that and getting paid off? I mean, uh, what's oh, the right would, word? What would you say? Right? Uh, <laughs> getting sponsored. Sponsored by big companies. <laughs> fucking, it's yeah, crazy, I don't know. Sponsored, you got to probably sell your yeah. soul some way. Mm. Oh. That's what it is, man. You, yeah. You got to have a different moral compass, I think. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, well, what's the craziest rules you see when you're trying to get uh, licenses for people out there in California? Man, there's so many. Um, I mean, there's even there's even small things that you deal with. Like, for example, I had, I had a greenhouse farmer who came in. They took over a site that was run by someone else. And this other person had these these racks, you know, freestanding shelves where they would keep their small clones on it and their cloning trays. Hmm. And with the new people coming in, the inspector comes around and he's like, Oh, by the way, you need a permit for that. And okay, why do I need a permit? Because the racks are taller than five foot, nine inches. And so you need to anchor them to the ground in case there's an earthquake. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll like, uh, okay. cut them down to five foot eight then. Thank you so much. And then yeah, you do that. And then they say, Oh, well, you're also hanging fluorescent lights on each, each shelf. And so oh, because geez. lighting on there, it has to be anchored because if there's an earthquake, the light might fall, blah, 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 blah. So we have to go get a permit for that and getting a permit for that means, okay, now I have to pay a structural engineer to prove that I'm anchoring these properly and that they're seismic and all this bullshit. And then you go through the process, you apply for the permit, you pay for the permit. This whole process probably takes two, three, four months. And and then then the plants die anyway. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's just, it's just an example of like a small, simple thing that any grower would just, it would just throw up a fucking shelf, go to Home Depot, Mm -hmm. throw up a shelf. Exactly. And we're going to handle this, but we can't because the government comes in and says, no, 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 there's an earthquake. We so I suppose this going. is where you step in. This is your speciality to go into places and be like, hold on. Is is that shelving unit over there over five foot nine? <laughs> They'll be like, yeah, why? I'm like, wow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Shit. So that's, that's, that's what I have that, that lens now when I go to farms and I know what the, the regulation, the regulators are going to see. And I try to help you preemptively as much as I can. Um, so it's tough. I mean, honestly, a lot of my, a lot of my job, the unfortunate side is I feel like I'm a dream crusher sometimes because mm-hmm. I want to do X, Y, and Z, they say, and I say, okay, well, you're going to have to do this and that, and this, this costs this much. And by the time I get done talking, they're like, okay, never mind, Fuck that. I'm just going to yeah. stay in the black market. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find that a lot? Do you find a lot of people just uh, like, oh, majority completely the- change their mind and be like, no, fuck that. I'm not playing their city games majority of the people I talk to, they, they, they are excited. They want to get in it. And then I explain what it takes and they're like, Oh, never mind. That's just, it's either too much money or they just don't have the resources to, to pull it off because mm-hmm. the barrier to entry is ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. it, you, you can't just come in and do this willy nilly. It, it's a full on huge investment. I tell most people, if you don't have at least half a million dollars to invest, you're, you're probably better off not doing it. Damn, and what is the chances of getting a return on that 500,000? Well, you know, everybody thinks they're the greatest grower and this and that. So I guess it depends on each person. Mm-hmm. That's just it. Everybody thinks they're the greatest grower. You said the word, thinks. Yeah, that's it. Right. There's always somebody better than you out there. When somewhere. you're growing a shitload of plants, it's not going to turn out as good as your home grow does, you know? Right, exactly. And that's, I think that's one of the big things that we've, I think we've all kind of known it, but now it's been a big experiment to actually see it unfold because, you know, the one thing about it being legalized was there wasn't a lot of people that had massive grows. Like for example, in 2010 through 2013, I worked for a hydroponic store here in my my hometown of Salinas. 
and the owners of the store had a grow uh, that was in a warehouse and they had at the time like 3,600 plants, which back then that was fucking massive, bro. Mm -hmm. Today, Mm -hmm. you know, in California, if you're not growing like at least an acre, you're probably a small grow. So to see that transition of like what's considered big and what's considered small has been really interesting. And, and the one thing that's, that's tricky, right. Is is to scale it up and have a hundred thousand square foot greenhouse and be able to produce quality cannabis. And that's the the hard part. That's the part that hardly anyone's going to be able to pull off, uh, Mm -hmm. but everyone is trying to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Sounds so difficult. So let's say, uh, let's say monkey, not me, because I'm not in the USA. I'm not a US <laughs> citizen. But let's say monkey came up to you and he's like, I want to open up a cannabis farm in California. What do you say to him? Like, You're having a fucking laugh, mate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, one of the first questions is how much money do you have to invest? Mm-hmm. We can start there, you know, and, right. and not not because like I'm some greedy bastard that wants you to pay me a shitload of money, but because if you don't even have that threshold that I, I have in my head, then I'm, I know it's probably not going to work out. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it depends if you, you know, if you have like a, a, an aunt or an uncle that owns property and you can leverage your relationships, then maybe you can make it work. But generally speaking, if you don't have half a million to a few million dollars, you're not going to be able to get into this thing and really make a dent. The same monkey cashes in his wife's 401k. You know? <laughs> you know, monkey's a divorce not, now. Not his own, you know, because that would be crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, your your first step is, is basically, so if he's coming to me and he's saying, I want to start a cannabis grow, the question is going to be, you know, how big is it? How many square feet are we looking at? And then we have to look at the landscape in California and determine, like, are you trying to do this in your hometown? Are you willing to relocate? If you're willing to relocate, then we need to we need to really look at what's on the table. Every city and county will have different rules and regulations and, and, and how they and how they tax you, at least. Right. So some. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Monterey County, if you want to be a distributor, it might be a good place to come because there's no tax on distribution. Um, other places might not be a good idea. So you have to look at what are they going to tax you? What is the process like to get that local authorization and determine all of those things? Is there property available that I can use that I can either purchase or lease? Um and once you get all that figured out, it's, it's a little bit smoother. I would say having the money and having a property you can work with are the two biggest barriers to entry. Right. Because you have to be in a certain, you have to be in a certain zone. Uh, you have to meet certain setbacks in California. You can't be within 600 feet of a school. Um, some cities and counties make that more strict where they say it's a thousand feet. I've had the city I live in at one point, they said that dispensaries couldn't even be open on Sundays because wow. I guess they didn't want to piss off churches or some shit. Um, they said you couldn't be within a thousand feet of anywhere that sells alcohol. So that's, that's your seven 11s, your restaurants, oh. your grocery stores, which made it damn near impossible to find a place. And it's because- like, why do they give any reasons? To, I mean, you can understand not being close to a school, you know, you don't want the kids right. smelling the weed, but from where you can get alcohol, why the fuck not, man? That's it's like I said, they're, they're, they're just taking this and throwing as much regulation as they can off the top. And their their logic or reason, I don't know. They 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 think like, okay, this shit's legal, but we still don't like it, so let's make it difficult, you know, mm-hmm. or let's make mm-hmm. sure it's in a part of town where like nobody fucking goes and it's out of people's way and nobody will be bothered by this. It's about protecting the children. It's always about the children. Never forget. Yeah. yeah. If they were to see you walk out of a store and see that cannabis in your hand, the retinas would burn and mm-hmm. it would be all hell. 
Because <laughs> that's one of the things as well. Like any dispensary has to have a, you can't see inside it, right? You have to, you have to have frosted glass yeah. or something. Yeah. Most of them want to have some sort of opaque glass or something. So you can't see inside it. That's actually a topic that's been coming up in, in Monterey County recently. Um, and they are, I don't know, they were teeter tottering on the idea of allowing it. The point I made was here in my town, there's a grocery store called um, Lucky's, and directly next door to Lucky's is a, a head shop. And I, I told the county, I was like, look, I can go with my son to Lucky's and walk by a head shop. And as we walk by, you can easily see in there that there's tons of bongs and all kinds of shit, and no one gives a shit. No one cares. No one makes a big deal about it. There's no one going to the city council saying, oh, my God, my little Johnny saw a fucking roar bong. Mm-hmm. It's the big deal if they see a dispensary. I mean, what are they really going to see? Packaging? Like, what are they going to see? They've been looking at all this alcohol stuff for how long? You know, bars are open all the time. They see drunk people stumbling around the streets on the odd occasion. Right. You're going to just... go in that same grocery store in my story and see a fucking sea of alcohol. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of colorful, different packaging. Yep. So it's yep. It's a really weird space for it for it to be in, and and someone someone that is a friend of mine has always kind of said it's like peeling an onion, where we're we're starting with the onion unpeeled, and slowly as we peel it back, and we realize what by we I mean like the government realize that it's not as dangerous, it's not as crazy as they think. We're gonna get closer to the truth that's in the center of that onion, and so we we will probably see deregulation happen over the course of five, ten, fifteen years. It won't ever be you know a free for all probably. But I think we'll we'll lose regulations that we have today, and it's it's already happened in some degree, especially in in my my area. They're slowly cool. scaling it back. They're slowly realizing it's not as crazy as they thought. Um, it's just going to take time to get there. Mm-hmm. And and I think, I think which the same person I was talking to, um, shout out to Brett from Couchlock, he's always said that you need to look at like what level of intoxicity does cannabis fall on. And and he thinks it probably should be somewhere between uh, coffee and alcohol. Oh, I, I would agree. I say it's, that's I'd definitely say coffee and beer. I'd go even low on alcohol, say beer. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Cause you know, some alcohol is not on the same level. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's say between coffee and Bud Light. Cause Bud Light. There you go. Nice one. There you go. Nice one. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I think that's I think that's a good way of looking at it because the the one thing is I will say about sometimes with people in the cannabis industry I think sometimes they do get a little crazy and and act like you know it's completely harmless and it should mm-hmm. be regulated mm-hmm. like tomatoes and stuff like that yeah, and yeah. I don't think we're ever going to get there mm-hmm. um, even if you agree with that I don't think we're going to get there but mm-hmm. it's certainly somewhere between coffee and 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 beer and Bud yeah. Light in my opinion because because yeah. obviously coffee has some sort of stimulation to you it, it affects mm-hmm. your mood it affects how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously beer does and, and cannabis does too. Yeah. But you know, you can drink how many cups of coffee before it kills you. You can have caffeine overdose. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And how, how many times does the district attorneys showing up at the, the, uh, coffee farms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. inspecting them, checking them actually right before, right before this meeting with you, I was, I was a little frustrated because I was visiting a farm, uh, who has a state inspection tomorrow. So we were kind of game planning and then the district attorney showed up and for, I don't know why, but for some reason, the district attorney has really been constantly visiting this farm, trying to mess with them. It, it feels like consistently. And I, I'm about to leave to come talk to you guys and they show up. And so I was just frustrated one that they were there and two that I couldn't stay there to try to talk to them and, and see what the hell they wanted this time. But it's, it's really frustrating sometimes dealing with these, these folks in the law enforcement when you're, when you are a legal farm and you are trying to follow the rules Yeah, and it yeah. seems like they're coming to fuck with you. 
more often than than even other farms it's kind of like it goes back to the beginning of our conversation of like is it even worth it to get into the mm. legal side or you just stay in the legal side it's so sad man you know you'd like to see the market flourish and for as many people as possible to get involved in it and you know and the yeah. best guys stay and the worst guys don't you know this is capitalism man. this is the free market that's, that's that's what that's what we like to call the you know i say the black market or the illegal market but really mm -hmm. what it is is the free market yeah but that's the only real free market that exists for cannabis the tax-free market for sure good point actually there you know quality will will sell there and trash is not going to sell in the, in the legacy market whatever yeah yeah i mean and it works we know it works and you know they nowadays the from the law enforcement's perspective their new their new shtick is to say well in the license market, all of this is tested. And and now now when they go and they find illegal farms and they bust it, they're actually spending money to test the weed because they know it's probably going to test dirty. Mm. And then that's their new like part of their headline, right? Like we not only did we destroy tens of thousands of pounds and hundreds of thousands of plants, but this weed was dirty. Oh, they, they'll, they'll chop it all down, leave it in a damp, moldy <laughs> shed for a couple of hours, <laughs> then well, test I it and be like, look at all the mold. It was... 50% mold on this cannabis. I mean, the reality though is like, I get where they're coming from on that, but the truth mm -hmm. is we've all been smoking shitty fucking weed for a long fucking time. Yeah, definitely. And no one yeah. fucking gotten hurt from it. Now I'm not saying you should go and smoke a weed that's full of brown mold and shit, but let's be, let's be real. We, if we've been smoking weed long enough, you probably smoked some, some sketchy shit before. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not like the end of the world. It should not be encouraged, but at the same time, they're acting like, oh my God, we're saving everybody. And it's but like, no. But this really. is it. I, I would agree to them having weed tested to make sure it was safe for the consumer, but they don't just draw the line there. They throw ridiculous taxes on like $15 per square foot. It's like, why, why is that tax there? Well, give me a reason for this. You know, if they could explain and give a good reason behind the rules that they make up and enforce on people, it wouldn't be so bad. But there's just so much bullshit there. Like, why do I have to pay that? Oh, you have to pay that because we fucking said so. Pay your fee. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck, man? This isn't fair. It's not fair, man. It's how you keep yourself out of jail. It's just You're not a good enough reason. You know, you, it's ridiculous, man. It's so wrong. The political answer, the politician would say that there is a there is a level of negative effect that cannabis plays on society and the tax mm. is there to try to counterbalance that. So the tax is... Yeah the law enforcement to get rid of the dirty weed to provide education for the youth to know about the the risks of cannabis blah 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 that's that's why they would say it's taxed it's it's to counterbalance yeah, yeah. same idea with alcohol mm -hmm. and tobacco but that is just taxed on so many levels and it? it's like why are they taxing the big grower then the distributor then the consumer so maybe the the consumer tax is really what should pay for all of that shit yeah yeah it's, it it's crazy man it just seems to me, though, that you I mean you're comparing it to alcohol tax and things like that, though. But the numbers that I'm hearing, cannabis is taxed way higher than alcohol, mm. and I, I just don't see the the, uh, the level of negative impact from cannabis on society that I see from alcohol. I agree. So I mean, it, it seems to be way out of whack the fact that they're being charged way more money for something that's doing way less harm. I mean, I I completely agree. I think it's just it's just a matter of time because. You know, for a lot of these people, they don't they don't live in the same world as we do. They they haven't been involved with cannabis as long as us, so it's completely mm -hmm. new to them. Mm -hmm. So right. even though you see it through that lens, they don't they don't, and they need time to experience it. You know, time needs to go by where there's enough dispensaries, enough grows, and nothing crazy happens for them to be like, oh, okay, I guess you were right. Sorry yeah. for taxing you a hundred million dollars. Oh, later. They, they, you're crazy. They're never gonna say that. 
You know, I'm never going to apologize. Heck no. You know, sorry. What? <laughs> What's that we, word? We were wrong. Oh, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You're Have right. you been smoking cannabis? <laughs> <laughs> it must have been untested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you've been smoking that devil illegal cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God it seems like these, these politicians think this is a money tree. This is not producing cannabis. They think it's printing money because of the way they're taxing this stuff. It's crazy. Absolutely. And it, it it did print money for a while because, um you know, going back to Monterey County, when they had $15 a square foot, cumulatively from the time they started this program, which is probably around 2018 to now, so around five years, they've collected $79 million, just my county, just the county I live in, Ooh. $79 million over the course of five years, only from cannabis tax. So this $15 per square foot as well, that's every crop, right? That's just not like a one-off, that's my farm. It's fifteen dollars per square foot of of your actual canopy per year. Fuck. So if you had like two crops in the year, you'd have to pay thirty dollars per square foot, for example. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And that's wow. that's where, that's where going damn. back. If you're super efficient and your grow and your your yields are fucking amazing and your quality is amazing, the square footage tax could conceivably be less than gross receipts if you're really doing a good job. Mm-hmm. But if you have any issues, which you usually do, because at the end of the day, this is farming. Mm-hmm. Farming is never mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah, for sure. It fucks you. And mm-hmm. and so that's yeah, that's that's the risk is if you're not getting those crops off, if your planning schedule is falling behind, if anything goes wrong, the square footage tax really starts to fuck you. Wow. Damn. Now, do home growers have to pay the square footage tax as well? No, home growers don't have to pay any of those taxes. Um home or growers or are home growers limited to the square footage that they can farm. Yeah, they are. So um oh, okay. Well, not necessarily. So, so if you're an adult in California, you can grow up to six plants. Yeah, I don't yeah. believe they have really any rules of of you know how big or small they could be. Your local cities and counties can make rules about it and say like, well, we, you know, we don't want to see it grown over your fence, or some of them mm-hmm. might say you're not even allowed to grow it outside, or some stupid shit. Mm-hmm. I believe medical. It's been a long time since I looked into the medical regs, honestly, because it's you know once you once you approve rec, the med- medical almost falls apart. But yeah. I want to say it was like a hundred square feet for medical. Um, in California. So they actually shifted from like carrying how many plants you had to the actual space you were using. That makes more sense to me as a home grower. Yeah. So I honestly, I would say from the home grower perspective, I think things have gotten a lot better. I think that, I think that they're looking for you a lot less, at mm-hmm. least of course in California. I think that um, even if they stumble across you as a home grower and maybe you have more than you're supposed to do that they don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that even if they do catch you, and and try to prosecute you for doing something wrong. If it's a small home grow situation, you know the rules and, and laws against you are not what they used to be. So, what used to be a felony is now a misdemeanor. What used to be a misdemeanor is now an infraction. Mm-hmm. So that, those are probably the positive things that have come from from Prop sixty four passing in California. Right. Um, so I think it's a good time to be a home grower and, and not really worry about what we had to worry about in the past. Yeah, it's suffer PTSD from that shit flinching from helicopters flying over you know <laughs> it's crazy yeah. shit man i remember when like like i said in the beginning of this when the the family that owned the hydroponics store that i was working for when they got raided man fuck i was nervous mm. uh, at least probably for a solid two weeks and I, i'm not even the one that got rolled on you know but yeah. i was still like close to them and like obviously Big. i knew about the grow so i remember like, by association yeah, yeah. i was so traumatized for at least like two three weeks like couldn't really sleep constantly looking out the window like they're gonna roll up anytime now damn so i can only imagine 
to actually, you know, someone who's actually gone through it personally, where they're the one, their freedom's on the line. It's, it's got to be crazy traumatic. Did that, did those guys suffer any prison time? Luckily, no. Um, cool. And they luckily, had 3,600 3, pounds, 3,600 pounds. Yeah. No prison time. That's, that's good. Man. No, no prison time. Yeah. I'm, you know, fines, things like that, probation. They, they, they got off pretty, pretty lucky. I mean, they did, obviously they hired good lawyers and stuff, but what really, what, really their punishment was, um, it was obviously on the local news. And so everyone who would shop at that hydroponic store, you know, they're sitting down mm-hmm. eating dinner and then here's the guy that sells them their nutrients come on TV and they're like, Oh fuck. Well, I guess I'm not shopping there anymore. Cause you know, everyone starts to worry the, the, yeah, the, yeah. the paranoia seeps in and you're yeah. like, well, they're watching that hydro store and all this shit. So the issue was they lost probably 80% of their customers overnight from that happening. Fuck. So from That's like 2013 to the end of that year, they tried to bounce back, but they lost so much business because customers were too scared. So they had to they had to sell the business to someone else. Wow, damn. So that was you know they lost their grow and they lost their shop. That was that was kind of their punishment essentially. Government wins. Go- yep, government wins. It, it it's really it really sucks because they were not very far from being able to get into the legal market, right? Like we were only about three years away mm-hmm. from the possibility of of going to the next level legally. Um, but you know they're they're. They're a prisoner of war, so to speak, the drug war. Pretty much. You see new farms opening up still. You know, surprisingly, there there there's more opening up. So last year was very doom and gloom, um, because it was a full twelve months of shitty prices and people going out of business. In mm. Monterey County, I think we lost at least at least like twenty businesses here that had to shut their doors because they couldn't keep up. Um, so going into this year, I was a little nervous thinking like, okay, well, you know, if my clients start to go out of business, I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly, the year has, has been going pretty good and going pretty strong. Um, so yeah, there are, there are a lot more people than I expected calling me. I, I have at least two people that called me that want to buy properties in a, a neighboring County. I have a, a group that's coming into Monterey County that wants to set up a new grow here. So it's actually, there's not a ton of them. It's nowhere near what it was in 2016, 17, 18, but mm-hmm. there's still some people that want to get in on this. And it's actually, honestly, probably a good time because now that people have failed, you can come in and get certain assets for pennies on the dollar. You can take mm. over certain properties that maybe infrastructure has been built that wasn't built before. Right. So it's probably more strategically smart to get in right now than it was in the past. How many, make, sorry, okay. okay. I was like, just make sure they got all their permits right before you buy the other property, right? Or you'll be exactly yes. and racks and everything else. That's why you need if, if it's not me, you need someone like me that can do do the diligence for you and give you and you know give you the education you need before you start spending big money. Smart. Just, just wondering out of the farms that you think started in 2016, that the early days, you know, when it was first kicking off and all these people were getting their farms, how many of those farms do you still think are in business now? At what percentage? Mm. Probably, probably 40%, right. 40, 50%. There's quite a few yeah. that have uh, gone then. For sure. There's a ton of them. I mean, even, even, you know, if you take it back, like the example of the hydro store, if someone was able to survive through the prop 215 medical market transition into this new recreational market, mm. they might've still gone out of business, even though they've been doing it for 10 years and they've been, you know, going through the trenches because of, again, all the regulations, all the costs involved. The other, the other side of this is like we're talking about the um, the the 
the cost to just take a property and bring it up to code is astronomical a lot of the times. So for example, in Monterey County, if you have um, a farm, you have to look at multiple things. One, there's a metal building on the property where I want to dry and I want to trim my weed. Is it fire sprinklered? Probably not. So now I have to spend $200,000 to get put fire sprinklers into that building. Are the restrooms ADA compliant? accessible for people in wheelchairs probably not so now i have to reconstruct the bathrooms to make sure they're ada compliant in monterey county we don't have a sewer that we're connected to we use septic systems so we have to kind of have our own sewer system on our property uh we don't get to leverage the city's infrastructure so then they look at the septic system okay how many employees are you going to have is that septic system large enough to handle that many employees probably not so now you got to install a new septic system and so the list just keeps going and going mm -hmm. and going and by the time you're done I mean, you might have to invest millions of dollars to bring this property up to today's code because the government wants you to do it. But ironically, your neighbor, who actually might be a, a traditional agricultural farmer, a lot of these greenhouses in Monterey County used to be traditional cut flowers that you would find in your grocery store. Mm -hmm. They don't have to deal with any of that shit. The county never comes around. The county never checks their septic. The county doesn't give a shit about what they're doing. But because we're cannabis, they come in and throw the book at us. And it's uh -huh. fucking ridiculous. But it, hopefully that will change in time, isn't it? Oh, man, it's so fuck. It's the injustice is shocking, and it how, like the farm next door can just do what the fuck they want. Well, I mean, I visited a grow in Oregon, and uh, it, very much what you're saying there is true because on this specific site, there was a greenhouse built to grow roses that was completely abandoned because they had built a fresh greenhouse to grow cannabis in because it would cost less to build a new greenhouse than it would have been to go back and retrofit right. the property to bring it up to the proper standards so that it was legal to grow cannabis in it. That didn't make any sense to me. But now what you're telling me, yeah, I get it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's very common where you're you're actually better off just demolishing the old stuff and rebuilding something new, which yeah, you're, I agree with you. When I first started hearing that, I was like, that can't be right. I already have a structure. I already, you know, I'm standing in a building. Let's make it work. But by the time you get through all the bullshit code stuff, it's it's crazy, you know, and it's it's just really frustrating. Even even things like soil piles, right? So every three months in Monterey County, you have three departments that come to inspect you. You have the fire department, the building department, and the health department. They all every come together. Every three months? Every three months, they come to walk your farm and see what the fuck you're doing. And so one thing that always comes up is the soil pile. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of farms here aren't reusing their soils, um, which I think they could to save money, but there's there's more regulations and bullshit with that, so they don't want to deal with it. So a lot of times when they finish the crop, they obviously dump the pots and they have large soil piles that accrue. And over time, they'll get rid of it, but it's not a huge priority for them. They're just like moving on to the next grow. So they'll come and they'll be like, your soil pile is too too big. You have to get rid of it. And we're like, okay. And then literally, I've had this at other farms where literally I look across, I look over the chain link fence at my neighbor's property, who's an ag far property, mm -hmm. and their soil pile is taller than the fence. Mm -hmm. And then I point it to the health department. They see it. They say, you know, I know I get it, but somebody would have to call and complain. We, we don't, we don't go inspect them. Oh, jeez. And so it's like, literally you're bitching about my soil pile and you can see with your own eyes, the neighbor's soil pile, but no one cares. No one says anything. Damn. So that's just yeah. another micro example of what, what cannabis people have to go through. I mean, the odds are stacked against you. That's, that's what you really need to know when you're getting into that business, your odds are stacked against you in every way, shape and form. So if you're really going to do it, you have to be really in it for, you know, for the love of it, or maybe you're fucking rich or whatever the case may be, but it's, it's not a simple, easy business to get into. Mm -hmm.
like you always say, Mackie, rules for thee, not for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Let everybody else follow the rules, but yeah, cannabis has got to do do everything crazy. Oh man, it's really over the top. I mean, so it's it's frustrating. I mean, I, you know, some days I, I get very frustrated, and and I've been dealing with with government like intimately now for going on seven years, and. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it makes me pessimistic. Sometimes I feel like it weighs on you. Um, mm -hmm. It's just so it's just so frustrating when you want to try to explain something to them that seems so simple to you and just so far for them. And you just kind of get discouraged. But I mean, it is what it is. It, it's it's the good fight that we have to keep fighting. A lot of people that are not in this world of of regulations and, and maybe not from California, they, they just know, oh, California legalized weed. That's great. Mm -hmm. They have no idea all the nuances that we're still dealing with. They have no idea all the work that still needs to be done to really make this what it should be. But that's because even as a cannabis podcasters, we had some idea of how fuckery it was right. in California. But this fuckery, you know, this five foot five foot eight only on that shelf. <laughs> and it, you know, has it got fucking lights on it? Yeah, you got to, got to yeah. screw that to the ground, mate. Yeah, How big's that skeptic one. tank? Because that takes six person shit. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. Here's another one for you. Uh, sometimes they'll go into the bathrooms and they'll, uh, hey, the soap dispenser is empty. Hey, the paper towels are empty. And then they put it on their correction notice. And, you, you know, a week later, you get your email of everything that they saw that was a violation. And you have this Fuck. fucking the soap dispenser was fucking empty. And it's like, okay. Sorry, <laughs> my bad. Sorry, mom. You know, yeah, it's not like we're trying to prevent our employees from washing their hands, but Jesus Christ, there's it's a farm. There's a lot of shit going on. My bad. Maybe you just caught, <laughs> caught us on a bad day. Yeah, you know. Was so ironically, when I go to the I go to the county sometimes to pick up documents or meet somebody, I'm always checking all their fucking soap dispensers that they have on the wall. <laughs> like, hey, oh, hey, what the fuck is this? I found one that was empty one time. I was like, hey, who's checking this shit? <laughs> you know? Like you yeah, said, rules for thee and not for me, right? No, fucking oh, downright, man. I'd be doing the same thing. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll be walking around with a clipboard and a pen. You know, like, <laughs> let me check this. Look at this. What's this? Is there no toilet roll? How <laughs> do you expect us to deal with your shit? If there's no spare in there, we have to do something about that. Oh, I had to wipe my ass with the little cardboard piece. That's it. Damn it. <laughs> and now it's bloodied. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And honestly, I, you know, you build a lot of rapport with a lot of these different ins uh, inspectors. They see me a lot. They see me, at, you know, I work, like I said, with at least 12 different farms. But they see me all the time and, and we have pretty good relationships. And even them, the employees, they get it. And they know that a lot of times it's fucking bullshit. And they they know that like things are over the top. And a lot of them, they, like if it was up to them, they wouldn't come down on you that hard. But mm -hmm. obviously they have bosses and they have certain things that they have to do. And, and at the end of the day, they're just doing their job. But they, they even get it. So that, that's what blows my mind. Even the person that's regulating you knows that these rules are, are bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when you know the system's. That's when you know the system's messed up. How often are other rules changed? It's like you've learned all of these rules now. And is there is there new ones added? So sometimes you have to update what you know. Sometimes you might even miss that there's been a new one. Does shit like that happen? It, yeah, that, that definitely happens. I would say it happened a lot more in the beginning. Um, mm. Now the rules... They don't they do change, but they don't change as often as the beginning. So they're pretty they're pretty steady now. Mm. Um and I'm I'm kind of like a compliance geek, so I, I do a pretty good job of keeping up with all that. I I have a, a Facebook group that I help 
uh, moderate where like the whole things about city and regulations and, and people that are operating. So right. I just kind of live in that world where like same when I was doing hydroponics, every single day was about growing weed, learning about the best nutrients, teaching people. So it's, it's easy for me to keep up with because, because now the world I live in is, is keeping up with all that, but mm. it, it it's not as bad as it used to be. It doesn't change as often. Some bullshit, man. Have you ever like received an update? And they're like, this is a new rule. And I looked at it and thought, what the actual fuck is this um, now? Yeah. There's, yeah, there's always a couple of rules sprinkled in there that are just absolutely asinine. I mean, one one rule that comes to mind is in, in so in, in California, they have nursery licenses and cultivation licenses. Nursery is obviously complete veg plants, only clones, no flowering plants whatsoever. The idea of the nursery is that you are you're gonna create plants to either move on to your cultivation license. Or you're going to maybe sell the plants to other licensees if you want to sell them their clones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the rules they have in, in cultivation when you're flowering, every single plant has to have a track and trace uh, tag on it. Oh, There's yeah. I've heard that. Little stupidness. blue tags. Mm. Little blue pla- blue tags that we have to zip tie to the, um, to the plant. Um, now, in nursery, they had a rule where you could put one blue tag for every 100 plants. So that you wouldn't have to put it on every single plant because they knew obviously some of these are really small plants and they might even have a stem that could sustain the tag. Um, And so in the beginning, they had a rule where, okay, so you just imagine like a bunch of plants over here in a hundred lot. You have one blue tag. And they said, on top of that, I want you to make your own tag with your own printer and put that tag number on every single pot or in every single pot of the 100. And that used to be just fucking... Because again, we're talking about Busy an acre work. of weed, right? An acre of weed, and you have tens of thousands of plants, and you want to put a little bit of tag on every single fucking plant. Yeah, somebody's going to take a month to do that. That's you crazy. Know, you got to hire a member staff just to do that. What do you do? I'll put tags in pots on a fucking that's like, that's form. true. That's I a real thing. Tags, that I make tags that. and put them in pots. That's it. That's all you do. That's literally Damn. someone's job right now today. So, yeah. And so that actually passed as well. It's not like they were thinking about doing this. This no, is one was, of the rules. That was a rule that we we had to deal with. And and luckily, they've changed the rules. I want to say maybe last year, um, where now they don't require that. As long as you can have those 100 lots of plants physically separated or have some sort of barrier as long as as long as an inspector can show up and see it's very clear that that one blue tag is associated with that lot of plants you don't have so, to put individual anymore so you can crate them or box them or flat them in any way you want as long as you separate them by the hundred you're good right and and, nice. and now inspectors are even like as long as even if there's like physical separation like a space or a gap which uh-huh. if you read the regs is probably not allowed, but the inspectors are like, okay, that's good enough. I think that's probably what's changing the rules the most is these inspectors coming on. Be like, Come on, do I have, do I really have to check a hundred plants for that again? You know, I've got 10,000 plants to check. I ain't got time to deal with every part. That's the truth. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's like, I guess other businesses almost where you, you have these higher ups that never really get in the field, but mm. then they make up rules for people in the field. And a lot of times the rules are stupid. Yeah, And so you have your inspectors that do kind of see where the rules are stupid and they go back and explain to the people behind the computers why they should change it. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're successful, sometimes they're not, but it's, it's yeah. So there's always little rules and little bullshit like that that comes up that you're like, wow, you kind of mm-hmm. got to hope like, do I, do I follow the rules or do I just hope that the inspector realizes it's stupid and doesn't ding me on it? And honestly, more often than not, you, 
you you got to just hope the inspector is going to be reasonable because the one thing that's interesting about this is and i've seen it especially in the beginning of all this if you were a person that was running a farm and you wanted to follow every fucking rule to the t because you know you're just worried or you don't want to be a rule breaker you will probably not be as successful as the other guy that's willing to bend the rules a little bit or willing mm -hmm. to take a risk because if you really do follow every single rule to a t you're not you're just not going to be as successful you're not going to be as efficient you're not going to be as sustainable um so it is kind of almost an art to knowing where can you maybe skirt the line a little bit where you shouldn't at all um because there's just so many there's just so many rules at the end of the day that you, you there's no way you can follow all of them it's impossible damn man no wonder people are just doing random ganja farms outside in, in like the woods and shit hidden away from everybody right you don't have to deal with any of this shit we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, that's the other thing is the, the, the legal market is never going away and has never gone away through this whole process. Um, mm. You know, one of the, one of the most interesting things to me about this whole kind of experiment over the past seven years has been that the licensed market and the illegal market are kind of symbiotic and kind of intertwined. And people don't seem to really understand that. Um, the fact is when you look at how much cannabis is grown in California on the legal market, there's way too much cannabis for us to consume here for multiple reasons. One, just because it's too much cannabis and not enough bodies. But two, the government has has set it up where there's not enough retail outlets to even sell this weed if they wanted to. So where do you think all that weed goes? Mm -hmm. Obviously not California. It goes back into the illegal market. Mm -hmm. So you have legal farms that are feeding the illegal market. And it, the the prices that you see on both sides are also all, almost always very similar. So mm -hmm. when we had it, we, when we had a, a supply oversupply the past eighteen months, the illegal market suffered as well. A lot of people in the illegal market were suffering just alongside the legal market, um, and it, so it's interesting to just see how they kind of still flow with each other in certain ways. Um, even though most people wouldn't really think about it that way, but it's, it's the truth. It's a fact. And the other, the other thing that happened in the United States that no one really saw coming was Oklahoma. I mean, when Oklahoma legalized medical cannabis, well, they just fucking said, fuck it. 2,500 bucks. Yeah. Come yeah. Out here. You can grow yeah. as much fucking uh -huh. weed as you want. And that shit just went off. I mean, at some point they had more licenses than California and wow. it's supposedly medical, right? And that flooded the market too, which ultimately affected the illegal market, which mm. ultimately affected the market in California as well. Because now all these people were competing with cheap weed from Oklahoma and there was a fuckload of it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been really interesting to kind of see the ups and downs, the dips and the highs of the market. And and now that we're kind of getting out of a, a very low dip, you know, we'll see what happens in the next year or two and, and how the prices look. I don't think the prices are ever going to be what they were before. Um well, you but mean it, as uh, high up or low down? You think they'll be cheaper in the future than it is now, or more expensive? I think, and I think when this thing's all said and done, it'll definitely be cheaper. It'll have to be cheaper. Right. Um, I ha I have a podcast that I do myself. I I haven't done it for a long time because I'm so busy, but um, I started it in 2017. It's called the One Dollar Pound Show, and Ooh. the idea of it was, um, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be a dollar. It's a provocative title, but the idea is as this gets more normalized, as we get maybe closer to being treated like tomatoes or coffee or whatever, the price will have to go down. Mm -hmm. um, as when you lower the barrier to entries and you have more people participating, it's, it's definitely going to go down and you're not going to see those high prices. The only reason we even saw high prices historically is because it's illegal. Yeah. Because yeah. it's black market. Because right? of the risk, you know? The risk, right. And then, and so there's, once it's, once it's easier to do it, 
it'll have to go down. And I think ultimately that'll, it'll be an interesting transition because you have, you have people that are like advocates and activists that are like, you know, I want, I want people to have access to weed and everyone should be able to smoke weed and no one should go to jail. But then on their, their businessman side, they're like, well, you know, I don't want the prices to go too fucking low. Cause I don't want to, mm-hmm. I want to still want to make money. So you kind of have that conflict of ideals where they don't want anyone to get in trouble for it, but they also want to be able to make a lot of money on it. And so there's going to be a time where it's going to have to go down. Um, the, mm-hmm. the issue is going to be, can can the price of it decrease at an equal rate of deregulation? That's where it's going to fuck people. Yeah. Because if the, if the regs don't follow the price, that's where people got out of business. So mm-hmm. I don't know. One day if we get there, it'll definitely mm-hmm. be easier to get than ever before, and it'll be cheaper than it's ever been. Just and maybe so, it'll man. be... Maybe to be taxed at a more sensible rate because they won't think this plan is made of money. That's what we really need. You know, give it into a regular ag- agricultural tax rate where we can actually function. Because as home growers, we know the stuff isn't that expensive to produce, really. Right. You know, it's one of those deals. Sitting there uh, looking at $25 a gram for something that I can produce home for, you know, way under a dollar a gram. That's hard for me to swallow. Um, yes, but I do, and I put all the labor in it, take all the risk and things like that, though. But for the government to sit down here and continue to tax us at a rate where you know they're they're forcing people to pay twenty dollars a gram for the stuff, that's where I have a problem. And mm-hmm. I don't know how how do we fix that. That's that's the weird part, you know. The government has to come mm-hmm. to a realization that this thing is not made of money. You know the 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 thing about it too is that, like you mentioned earlier, about people going into the woods or hiding or. Obviously, the, the proliferation of, of indoor grows was because you were hiding. That's why indoor became really popular. Obviously, mm-hmm. quality is better, but mm-hmm. still the whole idea of how it started um, is, is because people were hiding. And I think that I think that oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm sorry. All good. You're talking about, about where I was growing in the woods and it was hidden indoors. What did That's you say, I... monkey? What did you say before I'm I talked about how? We were talking about, I was saying how, how we know that the stuff can be produced inexpensively and they expect it to be uh, taxed at a rate that, that you know, something around $20 a gram. So we need we need the government to be, be uh, more realistic and realize that this is not a money tree. You know, that's what yeah. I was talking about. I, I can't lie. I lost it. Uh, it's all good. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our, our relationship with the plant, this happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't blame cannabis. Oh, it's it's a realization. Joe, that, Joey hasn't even said much. if it's a cannabis user yet or not. <laughs> yeah, of course he's God, not. It was that goddamn untested weed again. It got me. Goddamn. That's, oh, it's those heavy metals. Yeah. That's it, that damn outdoor dirty weed. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, no, I, I'm a consumer for sure. Um, I, again, it's why I'm passionate about it. I, I, mm. I love, I love the plant in all, all facets. You know, and I've been lucky enough to, to kind of experience in all facets from, from being that kid that was growing weed. And I remember being on, on, you know, forums and, and having grow journals and sharing my own home grows with people. And then, so when a hydroponic store opened in my town, being super excited and like being able to go in person and see all the stuff you saw online in person, I remember doing all of that and then running a medical delivery service, um, having, having a piece of a pie in a dispensary, having a piece of a pie in a distro manufacturing, so that's where I think I'm a little unique to other consultants and that I'm not I'm not just some guy that does paperwork, but I've actually like dealt with every aspect. I mean, of- your paperwork includes papers for rolling joints. You know what I'm yeah, saying? 100%. Yeah. Do you grow yes. as well? 
I don't anymore, but I did, I did a lot, you know, between 2010 and probably 2015, I, I grew a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing we did in the hydroponic store was we, we would offer grow coaching. So we'd have mm-hmm. customers that would come in and we would, after work, we would go to their grows and, and help them with their, their grows. So nice. even, even if it wasn't my grow, you know, I was kind of involved enough to, to have the same experience and, and see what it was like to grow these different, different indoors, different greenhouses, whatever it was. Mm. So I, w- I, w- I honestly wish I was growing more because uh, it is it is so much fun to do to just mm-hmm. start with either those seeds or those baby plants and, you know, get to the end where you're packing your bong or whatever the case may be. It's, it's mm-hmm. a really fun journey to take. It is Grow- indeed, man. Growing your own buds is way more addictive than smoking them. That's what they say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say it's true. I mean, it's just it's you just you just have a, a, a closer connection with the, with the the plant and the buds and. I remember when I when I started getting into it and I learned a lot, you know, maybe a two years into it. I remember like buying weed and then looking at it differently and like looking at the the sugar leaf and be like, oh, that looks like some spider mite damage there. Or, mm-hmm. Oh, they could have done a better job here. You just start looking at it differently. You, know, you just <laughs> go and, you go and pick up the weed and be like, I get this for twenty pound. What the <laughs> fuck is this? Right? Yeah. I dropped this on the floor and couldn't even be asked to pick it up. Now you want me to pay twenty pound? Good now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, Mackie and I were in Barcelona and we had gone in and purchased some, some, some buds and they gave us each a free, since we were the first time customers there, new, new members, a free pre-roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah we didn't even smoke that shit oh, i don't man. even know what happened to mine damn we, fucking we, hell. And we lit it but i bet yeah after the first couple of hits we're going like uh-uh there's no way man there's no way <laughs> as a home girl you're just not going to put up with that crap yeah it was trim it was trim yeah. and, and old burned sugar leaves and you know what you know what they do now too in california a lot of times the the, the proliferation of infused pre-rolls is to hide the fact that it's fucking trim or shitty weed right uh-huh. just some oil to it or some key mm-hmm. hopefully no one notices but you got to be careful with it. I, I never buy infused pre-rolls. I, I'm no. always, I'm like, no, they're hiding some shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, fuck that shit, man. Plus I, I like, I like, I like the feeling you get from a, uh, just a regular joint with nothing in it. I, I prefer that high to the other highs. You know, I used, I used to be a daily dabber. I used to be super into dabbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and over, over time I've stopped. Um, and now I'm, I'm really just back to the flower. I just, I just appreciate just smoking flower more. Nice. Man. I hear it, man. I do. I do appreciate my hash every now and then. I'll have to say that mm-hmm. though. I mean, you get spoiled with dabs. You know, I, the reason I like dabs is because when I when I smoke tree, you know, everyone has different palates and different noses, and and I I personally don't feel like I can, um, taste it very well when I smoke mm-hmm. it. Some 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 trees obviously better than others, but mm-hmm. I, feel like other, I feel like other people can taste it more than me. So when it came to dabbing, I was like, oh wow, this is what I've been missing. Yeah. Because every dab you're getting those mm-hmm. a ton of terps. Mm. Um, so that was really what I was drawn to more than anything, but the highs sometimes on dabs are just too violent. You know, yeah. it's like, it's just a little too much where you're like, fuck, I'm way too high right now. I don't want to vaporizing. Like I have a mighty and that gives off great flavor. Similar to dabbing. Dabbing is a little bit more intense on the flavor, but the mighty is still gives off some good ass flavor, man. I used like... to, I used to have a, a volcano. Cool. That's what I'm using, using now. Yeah, I used to have one, but when I when I became a dabber, I stopped using the volcano, so I sold it to a friend. And now that I'm back to flower, I I need to get something back. So you, mm-hmm. you're right, Mackie. I do need to get some other like some other vapes um, to maybe get that taste back because I I really do enjoy the tree. The yeah, highs yeah. the high is just what I'm looking for. I see. I know what you're like, saying. When you burn cannabis, like for a bong or a pipe or anything, when you when you combust it, it has that burned taste to it. You know. It's when you vaporize it, just it's clean, man. It's terpenes. It's delicious. All you get, pure. Mm-mm. 
But they're all good. You know, it doesn't matter how you do it, really. It's all good, man. I mean, smoking it is a different yeah. hit to vaping. Everyone's it. different. Yeah, everyone's I don't preference, have right? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? It's a personal preference, right? Everybody does yeah. whatever they want. Exactly. Like I, I was going to say, I, I don't have anything against people that dab. You know, it, it, I was there too. It's, you know, we go through phases sometimes and mm-hmm. you'll get I over it. Prefer- you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's just really at the end of the day, if I had to choose one way to smoke weed for the rest of my life, it'd probably be joints for me. Mm. I do like to dab, man. That shit is deliciously flavor, but yeah, hitting the pipe is just good for me. I don't smoke joints anymore, really. I mean, I smoked a joint a couple of weeks ago for the first time in like over a year when I went to take the dogs for a walk and I was mashed. That shit kicked the <laughs> shit out of me. I was like, fuck me. How am I supposed <laughs> to get the dogs home? Where do better I live? That, better than that crap we got in Barcelona in that joint. Damn. Oh, yeah, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> but yeah, that's and, and the thing right. is, I shared that joint with my missus as well, so it wasn't even a whole joint. I smoked like half a joint. <laughs> I was like, god damn. <laughs> that's that's the other thing too is your the, the dabs fuck up your tolerance so it mm-hmm. makes it harder to like, especially if you're dabbing daily you know in every session Ooh, it fucks yeah. up your tolerance yeah for when sure. i i had a i had a medical scare in 2018 i had um cardiac arrest and Damn. luckily you know luckily i'm still here but i took like a year off from everything no no drinking no smoking just because i was mm-hmm. you know i was paranoid for what i just went through mm-hmm. i remember when i when i first came back and started to smoke again all I needed was like literally one hit off of a joint, mm-hmm. not even finishing the joint, one puff. And I was fucking, mm-hmm. I was loving it. It was, I was like, man, I wish this could stay forever. I wish I could take two or three puffs off a joint and just be lit. Mm-hmm. And, and of course it goes away because you build your tolerance. But I really, I really wish you could just find a way to keep that tolerance level. You'd go through less weed, you know? Yeah, man. Definitely. <laughs> See, I, I, my tolerance level is pretty low nowadays. And I like it being pretty low. I used to just smoke a ridiculous amount of weed. You know, and I quit for a while, got a mighty, and then I, I don't smoke spliffs because even the UK we put tobacco without weed. And, you know, that's a spliff right. we call those, and I I don't smoke them at all anymore. And that one joint which I told you about, you know, just uh just cannabis inside the the papers, no tobacco, and that was the first joint I've smoked in like eighteen months, man, in fucking ages. I just vape most of the time. And even then, I, I, I said not so long back on the podcast how it's been so long since I've consumed cannabis, I might even be able to pass a drug test right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was you crazy, sell man. Your pee to somebody, man. Yeah, but, but we can't do that. My missus smoked, so I still get to roll joints and I still get to, you know, smell how delicious it is. So it's not like I miss it or anything. It's still around me. I can have yeah. it at any time I want. I just... I choose to have it now rather than feeling like I need to. Yeah, that makes sense. Who would it be? Yeah, for sure. I was a fiend before. It was shocking. Shocking. Yeah, I think I think everyone, if you're a stoner long enough, you're going to go through those phases, like you mm-hmm. said. Everyone goes through that where you're just smoking more than you should. I think it has a little bit to do with growing up too. You know, mm-hmm. when you're younger, you're a little bit crazier with it. Yeah, that's it. When you're less than 40, you're like, I'm going to live forever. I don't care. I keep smoking. <laughs> so you look pretty young, though. What was the cardiac arrest about, if you don't mind us asking? Yeah, you know, I was 29 when it happened. I'm 34 now. Um, so they know what happened. They don't know why it happened. Right. And that's kind of the craziest part of it all. Um, I was um, I was at the post office, and I think I was in line I was in line for something and basically I just I just collapsed. 
So, so a lot of people don't know the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack. A heart attack is usually more of like a plumbing issue where the mm -hmm. flow of your blood is not working well. Cardiac arrest is an electrical issue. It's where the electrical impulses in your heart that, that set the rhythm to the way that your heart pumps are not working properly. Mm -hmm. So if a, if a heart is normally pumping, mine was kind of tremoring. And so it wasn't getting a full pump. So I wasn't right. getting getting what I needed to go up to my brain, which is why I, I lost consciousness. It's like heart um, palpitations or something. AFib, huh? Yeah, yeah. So there's AFib, which is the upper chamber of your heart. Mm -hmm. And then VFib, which is the right. lower chamber. The right. more dangerous one to have is VFib. That's what I okay. had. VFib. Gotcha. And so, so yeah, literally out of the blue, just basically collapsed in line at the post office. Luckily for me, uh, there was a woman standing in line who was about to mail her wedding invitations. She turned around, saw what happened. Her husband was in the car and he's a nurse. All right. Came in, started giving me CPR. Um, also, lucky for me, the, the ambulance and the fire truck ended up showing up within about four minutes. Most mm -hmm. people that die from cardiac arrest die from lack of care and it takes mm -hmm. about five minutes to die. Yeah, about six minutes, right? Yeah. They came in. Obviously started treating me, um, you know, had the, the, the device to shock me, got me to the hospital and, um, I was in the hospital for about three days. Then they airlifted me to San Francisco to go to a better hospital. And I was there for about a month and had different, you know, different surgeries. And, uh, I now have a defibrillator implanted in my body so that if it ever happens again, I'll get shocked automatically. I don't mm -hmm. have to wait for the ambulance to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty wild experience. It was life-changing and, and they don't know exactly what caused it, but they know, um, they don't know why it happened, but they know what happened. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a mystery. I'm not sure. I, I never had any previous heart issues. Um, my father has had AFib issues, but again, mine was the the ventricles, not the atria. So it's, it's, I don't know, man. I don't know why it happened. And it's, it's kind of yeah. a part of my life now. Yeah, my, my older brother he had a heart attack when he was uh, like thirty five ish, like real young. You know, he he survived and shit, but it was, it just it hurt him for a while, man. It took him a while to get back to back to shape, you know. Yeah, no, it's I mean it's serious stuff, and that, mm. that again that's why we need to have studies on cannabis and stuff because I mean we have enough problems with heart disease as it is in this country. Mm -hmm. We everyone's obese, everyone's eating a lot of shitty food. Well, the, it's like the second attack. killer, isn't it? Is it cancer's first and Heart disease yeah. is second. Yeah, I believe so. I know heart disease is for sure in the top three. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's it's a big problem. So, and it's, I hear it's happening more and more with young people. I think uh, if you read studies, I think it's happening more than it's happened in the past. So mm -hmm. what I'm hearing, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is. But... Yeah, and I'm not saying anything about why that is. I'm not doing it. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, speculation was a more sedentary lifestyle, yeah. but that's no studies have been done to prove any of that though. Yeah, yeah, it would make sense. It would make sense with like the proliferation of the internet, and you know, right. I think maybe made people lazier mm -hmm. in, in some degree. They they don't have to get up and get out as much as they used to. Yeah, I mean, back in our day when we were kids, who was out every back day. When I was a kid, back in my day, I said that the other day coming out of the shop, right, just taking the piss with the wife, and I said to the wife, "Back in my day, and there was an old guy behind us, and he just started laughing." <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was like sixty or something, man. He's like. <laughs> funny god uh... yeah i i mean even even back in my day right i'm i'm not you have to old. say it with the old timey voice man back in my day 
<laughs> you know, we, we would go outside and play, right? We would go outside mm-hmm. and play. You'd come home when the streetlights came on or when your parents started looking for you. And you know, ride 10 mile on your bike, you know? Right, you ride. They, your parents wouldn't even know you're on the other side of town and shit mm-hmm. with your friends. I haven't now seen you a kid playing in the street or on a bicycle in years. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You don't, you don't see that anymore. Nope. It's either they're probably inside fucking TikTok or yeah. video games. At least TikTok encourages them to dance. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, but with that, I think we should let you go, man. We've kept you for an hour and a half and it's been insightful. You've had some good information I and mean, it's been a good conversation, man. I enjoyed having you here, Joey. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it, man. I, you know, maybe in the future I'll come back and we'll we'll have some more crazy shit to talk oh, about. For sure, for sure. Fantastic. Yeah, that'll be fun, man. Yep. But yep. in the meantime, keep up the good work, man. And try and reduce the amount of re- re- regulation that they have. I'm sure you're working on that as much as you can, you know? <laughs> yeah, as much as we can. You know, we're, mm. we're they're, they're boning us every day. I'm trying to at least get some lube on it, you know? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Making <laughs> <laughs> it hurt not quite as much. Yeah. You know, yeah. where, so where can people go and find you, Joey? You know, about your company or just yeah. information in general? Where yeah, can they so go? Easy to find, uh, cannabispermits.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, at cannabispermits. Uh, you can email me, joey, at cannabispermits.com. So pretty easy to find me. Um, and one thing I always like to say is, even if you're not necessarily trying to start a, a huge weed empire, if you want to reach out and get more information on how you can get more involved in, in cannabis, you know, whether that's going to local city council meetings, board of supervisor meetings, I, I'm willing and, and ready to help people with that, you know, because I think I think that is important. I think if we had more people get involved at the local level, that it, it could bring about change. Mm. It's easier to get a hold of your mayor than it is your president. So mm-hmm. I think that is something that people could do. And if they're interested in it, you know, and want to learn more about how they can do it, they can reach out to me for that. Nice, man. Yeah, Thank man. Nice one, Joey. Uh, I hope to, we can come back on the show and we can chat some more shit about AI and things. Yeah, I'm absolutely, saying. man. See? I appreciate it. Have yeah, a good nice one, time. guys. Bye-bye. All right, Joey. Thanks a lot, man. See you later. So there we go, everybody. If you want to learn more about Joey Espinosa and what he does, or if you have any questions for him, you want to find out how to start your own grower in California or anything like that, then you can just hit him up on his website. Go to cannabispermits.com and you'll find him there. Just send him a message, ask him a question, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to get back to you. But anyway, it's a good interview, man. Uh, we learned a lot about that. That thing about the shells and the lights and all that shit and the, you know, the septic tanks. And the farmer with the massive heap of soil on his side, which is okay, but you're not allowed to have soil at the cannabis farm. Loads of ridiculous shit, man. And there's so much hypocrisy and double standards in this industry. It's an absolute farce, man. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned some things as well. And I hope to catch you on the next interview. We've got some good interviews coming up very soon. So make sure you stay tuned for those. If you are a Patreon, you'll be able to join us live for some of those interviews. So... Just head over to patreon.com slash Percy's Grow Room and you become a patron for as little as $4.20 a month. And not only does that help support the show and the forum, but it gives you access to loads of these cool interviews that we've done in the past, which are all unedited and unfiltered. So go and check them out if you're a patron. And also stay tuned for the interviews that we have coming up in the future as well. You get to catch them live with us over on our YouTube channel. But anyway, thank you as always for downloading and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can share it with a friend. But of course, no pressure. Only share if you can. And uh, we'll catch you on Friday for the Grow Guides, which is all about how to store cannabis for long periods of time. We'll see you on the next one. Stay high, stay safe, and goodbye. Goodbye.